Welcome to the Race and Redemption Podcast. We're here to help white Christians move from questions to change. This is my friend Susan. She brings her whole heart to this conversation. She has a wealth of experience in cross-cultural relationships in her own family and in her community. And she marries that with the truth of scripture about race and redemption. And this is my friend Brooke. She has been researching these topics for years within the church, and she's bringing new information that's factual, accurate, and nonpartisan. And that's what the church needs right now. Look at us. Oh my goodness, we are back in the studio. It's been 17 years since we've been here. <laughs> it was like 17 months. What? <laughs> no, and I know Feels you guys, like we were we were aiming to be back here in the fall with you. And we just have been called to other things for the past few months. But we've heard from so many of you asking, when are you guys gonna record the next season? And it's always been our intention to do it. It just took a couple more months for God to release us to start. So here we are, season five. We're ready to go and we can't wait to share all the great episodes and ideas that we have for you. Yeah. Thank you for so graciously saying I had a really hard time making space. Um, (laughs) Even though my heart was very much in it, I may have said this before and most people know this about me, but I say yes to everything because I really get excited about everything. So between a new job and lots of new ministry responsibilities, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't quite find a Friday to sit down and talk with Susan. (laughs) So we have had all these ideas floating in our head for quite a while that we've wanted to be able to talk with different people. And I'm so glad to be back here with you all and be able to to uh, just dig back into what does it look like to live a life of race and redemption. Mm-hmm. And it was good timing for me too. I mean, my oldest daughter is in her senior year. And amazing. anybody that's gone through that knows that the fall semester is full of applications and mm-hmm. college choices and visits and really stressful time. And so it also gave me some time to really pour into my family and be there for her and help in the school by being a grade rep and really dig into this first experience of launching a grown adult into the world. Yeah. So. So personal note, we're both in that place. You're launching her to college. I'm launching my daughter into a car in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. And it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have to pray a lot, don't yeah. we? Yeah. It's a continual release, but yeah. um, it's been great, you know, and it's been really interesting for me jumping into this process, just thinking about race and redemption and like, there's a lot going on in the college admissions world when yes. it comes to race. Yes. I don't know if you guys are aware, but there are multiple different lawsuits that are going on to were recently heard by the Supreme Court, one towards UNC, one towards Harvard. And there is a group of students called the Students for Fair Admissions that are hoping to overturn a 2003 ruling, which found that colleges could consider race in their admissions in order to have diverse campuses. And they feel like that's not fair. This SFA is a wide variety of people from across the country, mainly Asian Americans and white Americans that are feeling that the way that college admissions are going right now is not fair to them. Mm -hmm. So we've not heard a ruling yet. 
Uh, there's a lot of grumblings that it's probably going to get overturned, but we know how mm-hmm. things go with the Supreme Court. We do not know until know they until release. Know. Yeah. Until they release. But it's been really interesting to hear from different parents when it comes to this perspective. Yeah. Because even filling out applications, it's definitely a question. First yeah. generation college students is a big question. Definitely race and ethnicity is a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more uh, grant and scholarship money going towards demonstrated need than merit now, which is really interesting. And so things are changing and it's been a really wild thing to sit and hear so many different perspectives when it comes to it. I remember Mm -hmm. last year sitting with some friends who were launching seniors and some are very upset, very upset with the landscape of how things are going and that you know, the perspective of my kid has worked really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I feel like because they don't hold this quality or this ethnicity, or they're not first generation, that they're, they don't have the same chances, Mm -hmm. which is a guess. It's not proven, Mm -hmm. but statistics are showing that they are trying to open the door for more people. And then, you know, I have a friend that is a really wise guy that I respect and his son had a perfect SAT, did not get into the top school of his choice. And we were sitting in a room, we were actually, I think it was at a birthday party and we were sitting in a room with a lot of people that look like me Mm -hmm. and he looks like me. And he was like, you know, I told my son, one, of course God has a plan. And so we're not worried about that. But two, he was like, if you have the opportunity to step aside for a family that's never had a college experience or a family that is struggling financially or a family that up into the past couple of decades had a lot of resistance and restrictions to even go to college, mm-hmm. much such these kind of colleges that you're looking at going to, mm-hmm. don't you want to? Yeah. Don't you want to to step aside with grace and say, go right ahead? Yeah. Because he kind of pointed out looking around this room right now, it doesn't matter what college my son goes to. Right. I have so many connections here to any organization yeah. or any, you know, basically line of work that he may want to intern in. Yeah. And that may not be the case for some other students. Maybe, Absolutely. may not be, but God knows that. Yeah. And so we're going to trust God and we're going to, we're not going to complain and we're going to have grace in the process. And so when Josh and I were looking at colleges this year, that was the, one of the first things we talked to Kyla about. We were like, don't buy into this conversation that's happening with a lot of people about it. Like yeah. we are going to submit to what the Lord wants. He knows yeah what's happening. We want to honor what he's doing. And maybe that is providing opportunities for people of different ethnicities or backgrounds. That's okay. Yeah. We're okay with that. Yeah. And they they may really need that. And you may or may not mm-hmm. actually need that. We had a similar conversation about scholarships mm-hmm. and my daughter was starting to think about, do I apply to scholarships? We've been saving for our college in a 529 for a long time. And she said, mom, should I even apply for any scholarships or should I leave them for someone mm-hmm. else who needs them? And I was like, that is a really good question to wrestle with. And interestingly, I found out something that I didn't know, and this is where we landed on it, that you can designate your 529 to anyone you want. Mm -hmm. So I said, why don't you apply? And if you get a scholarship, take the same amount that you would have used from your 529 and gift it to someone. And she was so excited about that. That's beautiful. So I... No to parents. I didn't know that. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can give your 529 to someone else for their college experience. Man, that's great. To Isn't know. that cool? Yeah. yeah. Like, there, I, 
And I think, again, it made me realize, like, am I living with a view of scarcity? Yes, or, exactly. Yeah, or with a view of abundance. abundance. My, my God has the whole world. Every resource is available to him. He's constantly moving everything around and planning. I mean, he knows the beginning and the end, Yeah, you know? And so yeah. do I feel like I desperately need to hold on and grab mine and get, you That's know, right. get what I feel like I deserve or my child deserves? Yeah. Or can I open my hands and go, he can do what he wants. Yeah. And I'm going to trust that he's going to provide for me, for my children, and for my neighbor, and mm-hmm. for everyone else. And mm-hmm. so it's been a big process of of growing our faith and our trust. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm interested to see where this is going to go. And I mean, just even seeing how so many of the universities are test optional now, where you're not yes. required to turn in your SAT or ACT. I don't know how long it's going to last, but yes. But, <laughs> but that has been, you know, hearing from a lot of these deans, they've seen a really big rise in minority applications because of that. Interesting. Because there's there's been a lot of back and forth again on if mm-hmm. these testing, mm-hmm. you know, the SAT and the ACT are favorable to white Americans over other races and ethnicities. And yeah, so I didn't expect to be contemplating race and redemption as I was helping <laughs> my daughter to apply to college, but it's been it's there. It's been a huge part yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's really, that's really important to tie those things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we couldn't have this episode without also talking about the horrific beating and murder of Tyree Nichols that recently has come to light. You know, I remember seeing Dr. Anita Phillips and Bernice King and several people saying, you don't have to watch this video. Mm-hmm. You don't have to see this to know that it happened. Mm-hmm. And I chose not to. And it's one of the first times I know a lot of people have chosen to protect themselves from seeing the horrific thing that happened. But I mean, it has really brought up a lot of different questions, some that have been helpful, some that haven't. I mean, the idea of was white supremacy involved in five black police officers beating and killing another black man? Mm-hmm. You know, can mm-hmm. white supremacy possibly be involved? Can black people be racist against other black people? Mm-hmm. Is this more about the power structure of the police system and the officers are just extensions of it? Right. Is institutional racism to blame because it's members of the institution right. responding to one mm. who comes in contact with the institution? Yeah. So it has nothing to do with race, it has to do with the institution and then the extension of that is mm-hmm. race. And, you know, and also just really unhelpful responses of like, see, this yeah. has nothing to do with all the all these beatings and killings that have happened in the past. They had nothing to do with race. It has to do with just humanity or whatever, you know, this or this person deserved it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a continual thing. And yeah. it's been hard. I mean, I think my question is, when are we going to stop seeing these senseless killings? I know. That's the question. I noticed the other day, Justin Gibney, who we interviewed in season one on the Ann campaign, had posted two pictures of a Democratic senator and a Republican senator. And the Democratic senator had an abortion button on his lapel and the Republican senator had a gun on his lapel. And he was like, have we reached the point where we're like as are politically promoting ways of killing people? Wow. Like that's where we are now. You know, that's become the conversation and the rhetoric. And I mean, it just, I think listening to so much conversation around this, we're we're losing sight of the point. Yeah. You know, the sanctity of life and the honoring of life and the Imago Dei of Tyree, right? Yeah. And these officers and these police officers. It's led me to really want to research more about the idea of power 
Yeah. And having talked to, I have friends and family members that are police officers and military and they are full of integrity and, and hate seeing these kind of things yeah. happen. And yeah. they talk so it much. their reputation. It it's does. so hard. It yeah. does. You know, and they talk so much about the training and the lack of resources and all these things that are adding to it. But mm-hmm. um, I had someone recommend to me a book by Brian Klaus that's called Corruptible. And he interviews 500 people and he's trying to answer the question, does power corrupt or are corrupt people drawn to power? Mm. Really interesting. Yeah. So it's on my bookshelf. I've not started it yet, but he's like, are tyrants made or born? Are entrepreneurs who embezzle and cops who kill the result of poorly designed systems or are they just bad people? Mm-hmm. If you were suddenly thrust into a position of power, would you be able to resist the temptation to line your pockets right. or seek revenge against your enemies? And kind of his conclusion is based on interviewing over 500 people in in various levels of power and kind of like where that goes. So I'm very curious to see because scripturally, it's definitely clear that we are all capable of falling into corruption Mm -hmm. the moment we get into Mm -hmm. a situation of power. And so... And promoting self. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, really, because that's the processes of sanctification here is us dying to self. Right. And I mean, that self is so strong. And as we're trying to be molded to the image of Christ, how deep are we going to let that go in yeah. ourselves? And how much are we going to hold back one area and not another? And I mean, that's why we end up seeing the things that we're seeing. Yeah, and absolutely. We don't have answers to all these things right now. I think our, our point of kind of bringing these things up so far is just to say we're praying through and talking through and considering also. Mm-hmm. I know you guys are and, and we're there with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so interesting for myself as a reflection to notice how often now anything that comes up, I kind of filter it through the, okay, so like what is the racial lens on that? Mm -hmm. Because we know that we live in a society that has been racialized. And Mm -hmm. so there's always something behind it that I want to understand what's going on Mm -hmm. there, including the situation in Memphis, including Mm -hmm. any leader of power. There's so many dynamics at play that just help inform how we understand that experience. Yeah. On my recently read list, kind of about power, really about privilege, was a really great book I just finished reading called White Picket Fences by Amy Julia Becker. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually heard her speak at a conference a couple of years ago and only actually finished getting to the the book. A friend loaned it to me and I was like, I I wanted to read that. Let me read it. It was really good because she very gently dealt with the concepts of power and privilege, very delicately, Mm -hmm. not in this whole like wrestling for power and privilege, but Mm -hmm. more like do we see where that shows up in our lives? Mm-hmm. Do we see how it jumps into our conversation or our decisions or our opportunities? And do we recognize that sometimes that privilege is a gift and we need to use it thoughtfully mm-hmm. and that sometimes others haven't had that same sort of opportunity? How do we deal with that yeah. as Christians? So I highly recommend it. I know she's written a number of books and she's just an incredibly thoughtful author. So yeah, it's been a blessing to kind of think through that. Yeah, And it's Black History Month. It is. It's February. And as I was just looking at the calendar, I was reflecting on our episode in season two, I guess, Mm -hmm. with Adam Thomason talking about why do we need Black History Month Mm -hmm. and actually landing on the solution of we should just have Black History Day every day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It should just be a part of our history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's been a struggle for so many people because we want to reach a time where it's not even differentiated. It's Mm -hmm. just our history. It's just history. history. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just our history. But until then, we have to do what we can to promote a real, truthful reflection on history mm-hmm. and promote those things. I had an interesting experience walking into Target the other day 
when you walk in and they've done this and for several different observations of different ethnic history or month or whatever. And they have a big thing up front for Black History Month and lots of clothing and different things to to kind of honor that, which was cool. But then I was going through and shopping and looking for something and got back in this other section. And I was like, oh man, these coats and this, I was very drawn to this one section of clothing. And there was no big special signage about anything, but I come to see that the person that was there was a black designer from New York and she was just in with all the different labels. And I was talking to a couple of my friends of color that weekend when we were together and I was like, that's what I felt like was so powerful. Yes, I was thankful Mm. to see the black history thing in the front. I got Amos a shirt, you know, I mean, I've always have and it was great, but I loved that it was just, we don't even have to promote it. Right. Anymore. Yeah. It's just just included Mm -hmm. and it's honored and almost like Target, are you virtue signaling? Are you, you know, trying to, you know, I have to check the box of being a corporation that says I'm observing Black History Month. Or are you really helping the Black community? Are you promoting and serving in a way that is not Mm self-serving? And I think that's what kind of hit me was that they had this whole future collective line, which is awesome. I got some really cool stuff. (laughs) But it was just like, it was just there, Mm -hmm. you know? Just like how having portrait coffee available through Target, you know? I mean, I think those are the powerful stories where they're not promoting it to make themselves look good. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really powerful. I love that. I also noticed in celebration of Black History Month that the Anne Campaign is releasing a new documentary that I'm super excited Mm -hmm. about. It's called How I Got Over, about the role of faith and the authority of scripture, specifically that's Mm -hmm. their focus in the history of the Black church. And I think, I haven't, they haven't said this or I haven't heard them say this, but if you watch the PBS special in the Black church that came out a couple of years mm-hmm. ago called This Is Our Story, This Is Our Song, the first half of it was very deeply focused on kind of not just the history, but also church a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the second half really kind of departed from that and, mm-hmm. and looked at church almost through a secular lens. And so this feels like the faithful response mm-hmm. to that documentary. I heard a lot of church leaders in that time go, I wish they had told more of a faithful story of the church, you know, yeah. in, in recent years, not just the politics of yeah. the church. So anyway, it was very cool to see that. And I'm looking forward to it's releasing, I believe this weekend on their YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And we heard from Justin Gibney back in season one, as Susan mentioned, and also featured in the documentary is Lisa Fields of Jude 3. And she is someone we have interviewed in mm-hmm. season one, episode 15. Brilliant communicator. She does amazing job on apologetics. Mm-hmm. Also, if you are not familiar with that title that I just mentioned, How I Got Over, mm, it's one of my favorite. We have this really cool jazzy gospel album. I'm singing it in my head right now, Jubilant Sykes. But I saw you kind of swaying a little I know. Bit. <laughs> I'm hearing Jubilant Sykes sing Oh, I Got Over. But Mahalia Jackson is famous for singing this song at a very important time. So if you have not heard the song or don't know Mahalia Jackson, go right now and go find her on YouTube mm-hmm. and watch and listen to her. Um, she was a very accomplished singer, sang at Carnegie Hall and at JFK's inauguration, but she was an active voice behind the civil rights movement. She considered it her offering. Like she said, yeah. I'm going to offer up my voice to this movement. And so she would sing before marches and at events, at fundraisers. And she sang that song right before Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. Mm -hmm. So there's a beautiful connection there, church and with history and civil rights. And it's just an incredible kind of collection of all that together. So I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, that's amazing. And I want to also mention that Anne Campaign is doing a monthly prayer call now Mm -hmm. that you can participate in if you kind of sign up on their website. And they also put stuff on their social media. But I think that that's a really great way to get involved in the work. And I mean, prayer changes things. We know that. Mm -hmm. And it changes us too, to be able to, to hear 
from the Lord and to hear from other people. Mm -hmm. And so I would definitely encourage you guys to go sign up for that. Mm -hmm. I also want to talk about Maya and Jonathan Irons. Uh, You know, they have been on the podcast with us. Maya was actually our first interview back in season one. We did a two part with her and then her husband, Jonathan, back in season three. And they just released a new book called Love and Justice, A Story of Triumph on Two Different Courts. It's in Barnes and Noble. It's on Amazon, wherever you're looking. But, oh, man, I read it like in a day and a half. Like wow. I was, it was just, it was amazing. And it's kind of one of those books where it's Jonathan's chapter, then it's Maya's chapter, and they're kind of paralleling their lives growing up and, you know, what it was like and what was going on behind the scenes. And for those of you, I know that, we have so many fans of Maya and her basketball career. She gives a lot of great insight into that. And Jonathan is super vulnerable about what it was like mm-hmm. to be thrust into prison at 16, wrongly convicted, yeah. no one there to advocate for him. And I mean, really some hard, hard stuff that he went through yeah. in the over two decades that he was wrongly incarcerated. And it was so powerful and such a hopeful journey of, Mm -hmm. of who God is and what he can do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she, uh, and Maya also announced her official retirement from basketball. She's not going back. She's not going back. (laughs) She is going to continue focusing full time on her growing family. And then they have Mm -hmm. a not-for-profit called Win With Justice. They're trying to bring awareness to prosecutorial reform and help wrongly Mm -hmm. incarcerated individuals. And she feels like that is the way she wants to spend her time now. I love that. I love how she has used her platform to be able to tell this story. I mean, I have seen her all over Mm -hmm. the media. It's just amazing. I mean, the two of them, obviously, but I think the world pays attention because they're like, oh, we we recognize her, you know, her name and her skill. And she just gives that platform as, you know, an open door to be able to tell a beautiful story of redemption. It is. And to see somebody who according to the world, has reached the pinnacle of what, you know, you want to achieve and to say, that's not it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. not it. There, mm-hmm. the, the more, the immeasurably more is in me pouring myself out. And I think it's a great just example to all of us that, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, that's where God is. Awesome. And that we want to be where God is, you know? So uh, we are going to try to interview a lot of people that show that to us yeah. over this season. You know, we have a white businessman turned minister that has started a scholarship for uh, descendants of people of color that were like run out by the Ku Klux Klan from Forsyth County mm-hmm. and hear his process. And, you know, we're going to talk to Brian Loritz, who has been a pastor that has written numerous books, including different perspectives on writing letters back to Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. in letters from a Birmingham jail and Mm -hmm. kind of asking prominent pastors of different ethnicities to write responses to him. And Brian has such a a great and and really tangible perspective when it comes to redemption in the church racially. We have Michelle Sanchez. I mean, I know you guys met at a conference and really hit it off. She's an amazing discipleship leader. And actually, it was quite funny because we were like in each other's fan clubs. We had heard of each other, but not met. (laughs) And she comes from a banking background. So Mm -hmm. she started talking numbers and I got all excited. And I'm like, (laughs) but also I'm really excited that you do discipleship. Yeah. (laughs) So we just had a ball. So she has a new book out called Color Courageous Discipleship. And we're going to be talking with her about that. And it's beautiful. I have so enjoyed reading it. It's very simple. I thought, okay, this is going to be great because she's like 
got all this, you know, theological knowledge and she's got all this economic she's knowledge. Brilliant. And she boils it down to the most approachable book I've ever read. I Isn't was that like, the smartest people though? I know. They're I able know. to make it simple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was really enjoying that. And then also we'll hear from Natasha's sister, Unc Robinson, mm-hmm. another Robinson, who is someone I would consider almost like a spiritual mentor to me. I've just mm-hmm. learned from her just being around her. And she does so many things. But one of them is she runs a mentoring organization for young women, young Black women. And so I want to understand a bit more and have her share a bit more about the power of mentoring and why yeah. that's needed especially in communities that have been marginalized that need to figure out what is the way. Yeah. And there's a lot of biblical parallels to like the way and learning the way. Mm -hmm, So I'm mm -hmm. excited to hear her perspective. She's an incredibly also astute theologian and I've just loved, loved the way that she puts things into um, clarity for me from the scriptures. So. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. And we should probably stop and not tell everything we're going to do. Okay, okay. Because yes. we'll keep some we things want secret. people, we want some <laughs> surprise here, some mystery. But needless to say, we're excited to be back in the studio. We're excited to be making content for you guys. Uh, we'd love to hear from you on our social media channels. Send us an email, whatever you want to do. But know that we are prayerfully moving forward in this and, you know, just seeking God, making sure that we're doing the work to stay in the word and let him lead the way. But we will be faithful to you guys in that way. And I'm just excited. I'm just glad to be back. Yes, right. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us today for the Race and Redemption podcast. Make sure not to miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button on our page wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at Race and Redemption so you can join the conversation today. This episode was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.